want to assure you that this is a local news cutting. We have nothing whatsoever to do with the Playboy Roller Disco Pajama Party. Uh, there is more trouble in Iran. The crisis continues there. We have a story of a Thanksgiving reunion. Two boys in Afton, two small Vietnamese boys, have finally been reunited with their mother, father, brothers and sisters, and an aunt and uncle after four years of separation. We'll have that story and more for you. Those of you who've turned off your television sets in disgust, wait about another half hour. We'll be back with the news. Junk Food Dinner, 595. We're keeping it short since you've got turkey to eat. First, Kenneth Anger manifests hippie occultism in Lucifer Rising. Next, it's primetime network horniness in Playboys, Roller Disco, and Pajama Party. Finally, rich people ruin everything in Next Floor. Have a Thanksgiving roast turkey feast at Beefsteak Charlie's for just $9.99 per adult, and kids eat free all day. Celebrate at Beefsteak Charlie's. Welcome to Junk Food Dinner, episode 595. This is the podcast where each week we scour the internet, video stores, and cable television, searching for the most outrageous and interesting cult films. In Ohio, I am Kevin Moss, and I'm joined by my California co-hosts, Parker Bowman in the 559, and Sean Byron in L.A. This week, it's for the shorties. Short films, that is, as we peep these pint-sized picks, including Lucifer Rising from 1972, Playboy's Roller Disco and Pajama Party from 1979, and Next Floor from 2008. But first, gentlemen, how you doing this week? It's Thanksgiving week. Are you getting prepped? Are you getting uh, a turkey ready? Are you doing anything? thanksgiving wise or is it is it a moot holiday for you hell no kevin moss i am staying indoors away from any kind of festivities any kinds of merriment um no kinds of celebrations to be had you're not Um, even uh, making a little turkey just for you and the wife no way jose I, i think we're gonna probably pick up some chinese food or something and and, you know, I do intend to pig out and do nothing this weekend other than just sit on my couch and watch movies and eat a lot of food. But well, that's what the holiday is all about. Yeah but, the yeah. Year of the season. yeah, but these turkeys, it's like, what am I waiting in line to get some kind of a turkey? I, I feel like there's a mania. There's a frenzy that's gripped Los Angeles uh, this year where it's like I'm seeing all these lines at grocery stores on social medias. I'm hearing uh you know uh third hand reports about the price of turkeys skyrocketing i'm concerned i'm afraid so i'm i'm going to try to minimize my my plans and you know scale back the uh the ambition here and and just try to relax how about a, a bucket of kfc i wouldn't be opposed to it <laughs> all right although i mean kfc has fallen off right can we agree on that what what's your go to fried chicken well, there's a place out here, like just a mom and pop place that does broasted chicken that I'm I'm real into. But if That's we're talking like, like uh, what's broasted? That's like broiled and roasted. Yeah, it's it's a patented process. There's a Wisconsin-based manufacturer of these specialized machines that basically it's like pressure cooking while it sprays hot oil on the bird. So you're getting like this super juicy fried bird. That's how they. That's how they executed my uncle too. By the way, thanks for <laughs> sorry, bringing it. <laughs> sorry to hear it, 
Well, happy holidays. Um, but, you know, as far as the big guys, I guess maybe Church's Chicken. I think I probably like better than Popeyes and KFC. You worship at the altar of Church's Chicken? I guess I do. And they got good biscuits, too. What about uh, how's the fried chicken at Jollibee? That's fine. I mean, Jollibee's fun because they got that cool mascot. And once in a while, you can get like a little toy of it. But is the food really that great? I don't know. And it's fine. You don't fuck with Popeyes? Uh, it's been a while. I, don't, I think the last time I went there was pre-chicken sandwich. Yeah, they ate Popeyes offers turkeys for Thanksgiving for like 70 bucks, but yeah, that's you got to order in advance. That's the thing. I don't, I don't have any money left anymore, Kevin Moss. This, this past, uh, past <laughs> pandemic here has really drained my finances. So what? You haven't been going out. I haven't been going out, but have you looked at the inflation? You know, I, the price of a Thanksgiving meal is up 46% this year, Kevin Moss. Oh, man. And, I, and I'm earning less. I can tell you're being facetious because I remember a couple of days ago in the Discord, you said you fill up your gas tank without even looking at the price. And that's something a rich man does. Well, that's a different thing where it's like I got no control over it. You know, it's going to cost <laughs> what it costs. What, am I going to go to the other gas station across the street because it's it's cheaper? No, that's across the street. I'm I'm over here. I, I got no control on these things. So <laughs> It's more know. of a, a Buddhist thing. Exactly. You know, living in yeah. the moment. You can't If you can't control it, don't worry about it. It's the Zen approach to filling your gas tank. <laughs> we all read that book in college, right? Mm-hmm. All right. All right. All right. I thought you were the 1%, but okay. okay. Turns out you're just in tune spiritually. Yeah. So so that's my plan is, is how can I escape this holiday without jeopardizing my sanity in terms of like dealing with a lot of people and, you know, without breaking the, the pocketbook. And I think... I think the answer is, you know, I'm going to be eating Twinkies and cookies at home while I watch uh, whatever crap's on the streaming services that I already pay for. No, man, you got to get toasted and broasted. <laughs> well, what's your what's your grand plan, Kevin Moss? It, it seems like you got uh, some kind of killer spread you're, you're cooking up over there. Yeah, man, I'm going all out this year. Gravy in a punch bowl. Damn. Pies the size of the table. Eggnog in a gravy boat. Whipped cream on everything. Damn. The yeah. Ex- extra creamy whipped cream? Absolutely. You've heard of turducken? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going all out. Which which means what? You, are you adding another animal to this? Well, yeah. I got the turducken wrapped in a honey-baked ham. Fuck. Is this real life? You're really doing this? Yeah, it's going to be crazy. I'm experimenting in every single way. <laughs> this is too much. Too much animals. This is what yeah. happens when they legalize marijuana in Ohio. Suddenly they're inventing new variants of the turducken. <laughs> Listen, you go to the honey baked ham store, you get the full honey baked ham. You hollow out the center, you insert the turducken. Now we got layers on layers. What are you doing with that excess ham? Send it out this way? Nah, I eat it in the parking lot. Of the honey you want to slide in some excess ham? But I'm, you know, I'm on this podcast telling you, you know, at some level of embarrassment to myself, Kevin Moss, these financial woes I'm going through, <laughs> and you're not sliding me no ham. This is ridiculous. Listen, by the time it reached you, it would, it would be bad. I got to eat it right there in the parking well, lot. The I, honey I think there's a there's a sliding scale on bad that you know depends on who's receiving it. But point taken. But yeah, and all the animals in the turducken, I will have killed myself. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> as is tradition. 
That is the tradition. I think that's the law in the Midwest, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a grand old time. What about you, Bowman? Well, I'm not. All this food stuff is crazy. I'm celebrating what the holiday is really about the holiday of Thanksgiving. And that is the weasel, Polly Shore. Uh, because I'm going to do something I've been wanting to do for like fucking 12 years or however long I've been living out here. Uh, if you guys remember the classic film Son-in-Law, which takes place on Thanksgiving, the Polly Shore movie, you guys know about this? Oh, yeah. Certainly. Well, it was filmed right here in Visalia, California. And I'm really? finally going It's true. It's true. I, f- I don't know that you've ever mentioned that on the show. That's That feels like yeah. the kind of reveal that you would be you know, making on a, on a regular basis. <laughs> well, uh, Mark Fredo did say I was never allowed to do that movie on the show. So I, I've been keeping that He's close been to that for years. <laughs> I mean, it's Fredo law lasts forever. I don't know. I, in my mind, there's no better way to honor his memory than to pick the movie that he never wanted you to do. <laughs> well, we did do Ant Farm Dickhole, which he also said I wasn't allowed to do. And it was a delight, right? <laughs> I, I think so. Let's, yes. Let's not go crazy. <laughs> But, well, so that movie was filmed here at, like, some fancy place out in, like, the middle of nowhere because that movie takes place in Nebraska. So I'm finally going to go out and see it. I'm finally going to celebrate Thanksgiving at the son-in-law place. Really? Will you pose for the um, the VHS cover slash, you know, movie poster image with yourself? And I, is there two characters? It, is it the uh, American Gothic cover, right? So is it Polly Shore and somebody else posing? I, th- yeah. I think it's, yeah, Carla Gugino. Can you do one. that with Jennifer? Uh, well, she's working, so it's just going to be me. I can take Gonzo. Could you do that with Gonzo? Set up a self-timer? I would love to. He's, it would warm <laughs> my heart. <laughs> I think I'll be able to do that. But yeah, I'm very excited uh, to finally go out there. Matt, you need to like start a Thanksgiving son-in-law festival on those grounds and have people show up. You play the movie like on the side of the barn or something. Yeah. People show up. You have Thanksgiving food. It's a party. Get you know, involved. That could happen. I mean, the place like the place that's the house that the Warners live in, the farmhouse, it's uh, like a fancy place that you can rent out for like wedding receptions and birthdays and stuff like that. So like it is possible that that could happen. Dude, you could get the weasel to show up himself. You know he would be down. We could square dance, buff yeah. the wood. We could all wheeze the juice, certainly. Maybe even Tif- Tiffany Amber Theason would sign some autographs. Well, now you're talking. If there's even a 1% chance that Tiffany Amber Theason would show up, then I'm doing it. All right. Well, then make it happen. Let's make some phone calls. Yeah, actually, that is possible. I think that she lives... Like up near Yosemite or something like that. Like I think we ran a news story about how her house was in danger during the fires. So I think she lives around here. It's like it's like your neighbors. Basically, yeah. You got the end. You can bring up that story about her house. (laughs) Remember that time your house almost burned down? Yeah, I wrote about it. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, I like it. I like where this is going. Well, you guys want to see what kind of uh, Thanksgiving Day plans these fools out here in Junk Food Dinnerland have this year? This was yes. a segment of junk mail, as we call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Very good. Well, the first call comes to us from Matt in Arizona. Let's see how they celebrate Thanksgiving out there. Yo, junk for dinner. It's Matt from Arizona again. Yeah. Uh, just saying, I, your recent podcast got me thinking a couple of things, and I wanted to 
uh, give you some stuff. Uh, right. You know what? Like, there's been a couple of movies, new movies that have actually been good that I've like gone to a theater and been surprised. Like, wow, that's a movie I actually like. Like, that's good. And here they oh. are. Uh, Suicide Squad. Yeah, I agree with Parker. You guys got to see it. It's like uh, I'm not a Marvel's man or DC's man or any of that shit. Um, I like seeing none of them, but because of you know James Gunn and stuff, I went and watched it and uh, really well made. Especially the opening scene. It's fucking great. Um, also, Werewolves Within. I don't know if any if you guys have seen this or heard of it. It's on Hulu. Um, it's also a really fucking fun movie. It's like entertaining werewolf movie. It's fucking fun. It's got a good twist. Nothing crazy, but it's just like solid movie through and through, and I loved it. And um, yeah, so check that out. Uh, especially Werewolves Within. Let me know if you guys seen that or not. Like, I think you really like it. Um, and then, yeah, finally, uh, just like your guys' Ken Russell review of Alter Space, I haven't seen that one, but I kind of agree with all of your takes on that movie, like all of your impressions. Um, yeah, it's like, that's the same way Ken Russell is for me. Like, I don't necessarily like him. Like, I don't follow him or his movies or whatever, but when I see one, I'm always like, I don't know, impressed by it. Like, I always think about it. Like, that was a cool movie, even though, like you guys said, like, I don't like the characters. They're like, sometimes it can be utterly fucking annoying. And there's like, not the story, but just the visuals and just the, and, and even if it is like too Joe Rogany, that's kind of like that weird spirit of the sixties, you know, when that shit was new for the first time, when they're like, whoa, dude, <laughs> it's just like that pure early sixties LSD experience. Um, and I think it's just still interesting to watch, you know, even though we're kind of, it's kind of passe now. We're like kind of past it, but uh, it's so cool. So I wanted to recommend Crimes of Passion with Kathleen Turner and Anthony Perkins. Um, Anthony, I think, is in the JFD Hall of Fame by now, right? But uh, it's the same way. Like, you guys probably have the exact same responses, especially the you, Parker. Like, you probably have the same thing. We're like, God, it's fucking annoying and this and that. Like, but I'm going to be, like, thinking about it. <laughs> Because there's always just something about them that just hangs with you. So, uh, anyways, cool. Thanks for taking my call. You guys rock as always. Keep it fresh and stinky. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Matt, for the call and uh, the recommendations. Yeah, I have not seen Werewolves Within yet, but I, uh, I've been, I've seen it come up a lot recently on like, uh, as we near the end of the year, it's coming up on a lot of best of the year lists. I don't have Hulu, unfortunately. I'll have to rent it from YouTube or something, but yeah, I'll check it out. And then yeah, Parker, he's been recommending that new suicide squad. And sadly, I haven't taken him up on that yet either, but I'll, I'll check it out. And then yes, I have not seen Ken Russell's crimes of passion, but yeah, this looks interesting, man. You get the Kathleen Turner Overdrive and uh, Anthony yeah. Perkins, so and a um, Rick Wakeman soundtrack. Yeah, nineteen eighty four looks looks like it's pretty wild for nineteen eighty four. So, yeah, I'll have to check that out. But yeah, what did you guys think of uh, Matt's recommendations? Well, speaking of Suicide Squad, I've got great news for Mister Bowman on the line. <laughs> I've added it to my queue. It's oh. it's in my HBO queue now. What happens next? Who knows? Because there's like a hundred things in there, but uh, I want to watch that before the end of this year. That's that's on my short list of really, honestly, it, it's a very short list of things from this year that that I do want to watch, and that's definitely on there. 
Um, I did actually catch up with Tenet from last year. If we want to talk semi-recent things that I've seen in the past week, I saw the Chris Nolan movie Tenet. Thought it was okay. I don't know. Uh, you know, it's it's impressive. You know, in in the level of like he took a huge swing with a kind of brain dead script, but he man he committed, and some of those action scenes are really incredibly well staged. So. I think he's, you know, still an impressive, an impressive filmmaker. I just wish that he'd get somebody else to write his scripts. Uh, I could only hang with Tenet for about a half an hour. I called it quits. Oh, really? Yeah. You, well, you missed out, you, you missed some really good chase scenes and stuff like that, but I I can understand. Yeah, I might go back to it one day. I mean, I'm always rooting for the guy because I like 66% of the Batman movies he did, and I like Memento and probably something else he did at some point, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. He, he's fallen off hard for me, in my opinion. I guess his next thing is going to be that Oppenheimer movie, right? About the you know the nuclear bomb dude. So that might be interesting. It's like a different thing for him. It's rooted in reality. You know, it's it's not going to have any weird. At least I don't think it's going to have any weird like space time shit. But maybe it will. It just might. But yeah, I'll check that out. I mean, I'll I'll always give him a shot. Uh, but you guys should definitely give Suicide Squad a shot. We were talking all in the Discord. We were debating, arguing heatedly whether or not you would like it, Kevin. Pretty much everybody thinks you're going to like it. All right. Well, let's find out. <laughs> all right. Uh, next caller is our old pal. Live from New York, it's Mr. Brian. What is up, my friend? Mr. Brian calling in New York. I just wanted to call to say hello. Hope you guys are doing well. Love the show. I just wanted to wish Kevin Moose, Parker Bowman, Sean Byron, happy Thanksgiving to you all. Happy Thanksgiving to all the JFD listening audience. Uh, Everybody have a good one. Uh, That's about it. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I love the show. Peace. Oh, thank you, Brian. Thank you for the kind words, the warm sentiments, and the happy Thanksgiving. And same to you and your crew out there in New York. Eat some turducken. Go to the Honey Baked Ham store and eat it in the <laughs> parking lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Make 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 plans to come out here next year for the son-in-law Thanksgiving festival. Oh, yeah, the first yeah. son-in-law Thanksgiving festival. Forget that Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade you got out in New York. This is the real party. <laughs> Next thing. I also wanted to uh, shout out Brian's involvement on the Discord. He's you know one of the, the fine listeners who has uh, joined up on our Discord to chat with us, and, and that's been fun. So uh, if you're out there, if you listen, and you're not yet chatting with us on the Discord, get it together, man. Come join us. It's fun. Mm-hmm. We get to argue about whether or not Sean or whether or not Kevin's going to like Suicide Squad. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like Wall Street futures, man. Everyone's got a prediction. <laughs> it's true. We don't argue whether or not Sean's going to like it because everybody knows Sean's going to like it. Okay. <laughs> but the, I like everything. <laughs> That's true. 
All right, final caller. Go ahead. Uh, hey, boys. This is uh, Randy from uh, well, currently Maryland, but originally Montreal. Uh, I'm just calling oh. you to, uh, one to, to thank you guys for, for picking uh, Hardcore Logo last week uh, as, as one of the picks. Uh, Kevin, so big thank you for picking it. And I'm glad that you, uh, you seem to enjoy at least parts of it. Uh, Sean Parker... Uh, I'm sorry, guys. Uh, you know, I wanted to apologize. Uh, it sucks that uh, it seems like you didn't really like the film. Um, I've contacted, uh, you know, Prime Minister Trudeau, and he's uh, told me that under Canadian law, the next time we're all up in Canada, I owe you guys uh, a good meal. So, um, uh, you know, looking forward to that and hopefully to, to make amends. Uh, really quickly, just a couple things I wanted to point out about the film. So, uh, it came out in '96. Uh, so I was 14 at the time. So uh, 14-year-old Randy, who's into punk rock, seeing that ending, uh, you know, realizing, oh yeah, you know, punk doesn't isn't going to lead to this, you know, societal change and is going to save the music industry. It just leads to death and suicide. Uh, was deep, right, for 14-year-old me. Uh, seeing it right now, uh, I'm with you, Kevin. It's uh, it's on the. It's, it's a little weak, right? So no, I, I, I totally see that. Um, uh, the movie is actually based on a, a book that came out a couple of years or three years uh, uh, earlier, 93, book by uh, Michael Turner. Um, it, it's a cool book in the sense that um, it, it, when you see it, it's actually a, it looks like a black and white scrapbook or like a notebook, kind, kind of similar to the ones you probably had in school. And when you're flipping through it, it's, it, it's like a scrapbook from the band's tour. So you see like monologues and little notes and photographs and interviews and lyrics, lyrics to songs, which is actually the cool thing is for the movie, they actually took a lot of those lyrics and turned them into punk songs. Um, but in, in terms of, I would actually say maybe the book's kind of cooler than the movie in some ways. Um, not mind blowing, uh, not a must read, uh, but I, I just like the way it kind of like ends the whole or takes the approach to what really is a book, how, you know, like the rules of, of book writing. Um, so if you have like a teenage cousin or something who's into punk and likes reading, I would definitely recommend this. Or if you're like teaching a creative writing course, you know, I would slip this in in terms of the resource list. So it's a cool book. Uh, really quickly, um, uh, Hugh Dillon, who plays Joe Dick, the singer, was actually in a pretty big uh, Canadian punk band called Headstones. Um, Billy Talent, so the guitarist in the band. Uh, there was a pretty big Canadian band. Oh, Randy got cut off by the three-minute rule. But, uh, but I do appreciate the call, Randy. And thank you for, um, first of all, being a Patreon donor. And let me just state. Being a Patreon donor, especially a Dom DeLuise, means never having to say you're sorry, or yeah. in your case, sorry. Um, <laughs> but I do know resist. you're Canadian, and you, well, I, Canadians <laughs> say, I mean, they, they got a predisposition for apologizing. You know, it happens. <laughs> uh, but like I said, you you're paying the cash, man. You pick what you want, and you don't have to apologize for anything. We're we're being paid to watch it, so we appreciate um, the patronage. But yeah. Like I said, I like Hardcore Logo, and yeah, I, that book sounds interesting as hell. Like, I like the idea that, and that's a cool kind of origin for that. And and yeah, I can totally see seeing this as a teenager, especially, you know, um, you know, seeing Canadian content. 
and uh, being way into it, especially if you're into punk rock. So, yeah, man, I totally get where you're coming from. Have you guys come around any to Hardcore Logo in the week that's passed? Have you have, have you let it into your heart anymore? Not really, but but you know, like you said, um, we are you know, um, I guess effectively getting paid a little bit. I mean, it's not like we're we're making a ton of money off this podcast or anything, but. Yeah, it's it's the prerogative of the Dom DeLuise to pick what they want to hear us talk about. And I don't mind for the show watching a movie that I don't necessarily love. I think that's part of broadening your you know film-going horizons. Is I try to watch as much stuff as I can from as much you know um, from as many different perspectives and different you know areas of filmmaking as I can and. Uh, this Bruce McDonald guy still, to me, seems like an interesting filmmaker, and and I probably will go back and check out uh, some of those earlier movies he made before this because I like a guy that's kind of carving out his own little unique little world, and it seems like that's what this guy was doing. So, yeah, I wouldn't take it personal. Yeah, we love all the Patreons, uh, no matter what they make us watch. Um, but yeah, I'm I was surprised to hear that this is a book, and I would definitely be interested in checking that out because definitely you know the movie is so loose and like there's so so little there kind of like that i i feel like um it, it probably works much better in that type of a book so uh, i like my books where where nothing at all happens which is <laughs> why i like Freddie Stanellis and joan didion so i'm i'm super into this and i will probably read that uh Probably pretty soon, maybe. Very nice. Well, if you'd like to be like these cool people and give us a call on the Junk for Dinner voicemail line, please pick up your phone and dial 347-746-JUNK. That's 347-746-5865. Or send us an email at jfdpodcast at gmail.com. All right, let's get into some nerd news. The first piece of nerd news that I have is, you guys growing up, you fans of uh, R.L. Stein's Goosebumps series of books, or were you, I don't know, we're right on that cusp where like you might have been a little too old for it, might have already been reading Stephen King by the time these came out, but I, were, were these a thing in your life? I was a little bit too old for it, unfortunately. I liked the Goof Lumps books. Well, who didn't love the Goof Lumps books? But <laughs> no, yeah, were iconic. <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, yeah, like Sean, I think I was a little too old. Like, I think I read a few of them, but like they didn't really uh, hit me too hard because they were, you know, I was at, like probably two or three years older than the target audience, and um, but. I mean, I love those covers. I love them in theory. The books. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, I, this came out at a time like the first wave of them. I was into, but I grew, outgrew them pretty quickly. But yeah, like you guys, you know, I mean, I remember seeing these at the bookstore all the time. And the thing that was always the most intriguing, of course, was the cover. They had these great covers where it was, you know, telling the, whatever the goofy nature of the story was. And I don't want to downplay. R.L. Stein's writing. I mean, obviously, you know, it's for pre-teens, so it's not exactly going to be, you know, Pulitzer Prize winning stuff, but all these uh, kids are pieces of shit. <laughs> but, but I will say that he did write intriguing, fun-to-read stories, and it, they got kids 
to read, which, you know, it's a hard thing to do. It got captured their imagination. But again, you'd go to the book fair, the Scholastic book fair, or you'd go to, uh, you'd go to the bookstore and it was these covers that, that, that drew you in with that awesome goosebumps logo. Anyway, the whole point of this is if you miss all that classic goosebumps artwork, well, good news. They are releasing a book entitled beware the art of goosebumps that collects all the covers from the entire run of goosebumps. And, uh, it's, it'll be here in time for Christmas, November 30th. Uh, it'll be hitting your bookstore shelves. So, uh, yeah, are you? Would you guys be interested? Like, if you got this like for a Christmas present, for example, would you be psyched to flip through the Art of Goosebumps? Um, yeah, I most certainly would. I'm sure it would bring back a lot of book fair memories, and uh, the art's really cool. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I don't think I would go out of my way to buy this with my own money, but uh, I would also not throw it out of my window. You know, were it to somehow end up in my living room. Um, Art's kind of cool. Um, do we know how many uh, how many covers are in this? That's a good question. I don't know uh, how many uh, goosebumps they made. I like this idea in general, and I guess kind of in a similar vein, although not really. Um, I recently bookmarked on Amazon uh, a book that is just all of the wacky packages artwork. Yeah. And I haven't pulled the trigger on it yet, but I, I want to get that at some point. Yeah. I've got that. That's actually a really cool series of books. It's it's like these books that are based on the tops trading cards. There's like a Garbage Pail Kids one, and there's a Planet of the Apes one, and there's a Mars Attacks one. Like you said, wacky packages, and it's cool because like the covers of the books feel like that wax. Pa- they're made with that same yeah. wax paper, and uh, yeah, they're they're a cool series of books. Would you guys like to guess how many Goosebumps books there are? Ooh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. Is it two hundo or more? Whoa, I was going to say like 65. No way, I'm way more than that. The correct answer is 235. Jesus. Oh. Over what? Like a, what's it been? Like a 30 year span? They started in July 1992, and they are, yeah, going to this very day. Although they took six years off in the 90s. Damn, dude. And also eight years off in the 2000s. So it was kind of an off and on thing. That's insane. So basically, the the years that they were publishing, they were doing like one per month or something. Yeah, I would. Yeah, that sounds about right. It's crazy. Yeah, they're almost on that Stephen King level. <laughs> well, I got some news for you guys. It's very disconcerting news. I might even call it sad nerd news. But uh, according to uh, the Denver film team, uh, whoever they are. They have found a 35 millimeter reel of the movie The Stuff that was uh, sent to them by the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences, and is uh, Larry Cohen's director's cut that is 30 minutes longer than any other cut known to exist in human civilization. Um, so what they're going to do with this, who knows? It'll probably get released, I would imagine. Probably going to clean it up, put it out there. Uh, this is horrifying. As you guys know, I <laughs> <laughs> I was traumatized by this film. And knowing that it's going to traumatize more people um, is is uh, disquieting. I think they should just burn this, burn all original negatives of the original film. Uh, just, you know, 
<laughs> recall all copies of it and forget that this movie ever existed because it is gross. Um, but what do you guys think about this? Are you excited to hear that there's 30 more minutes of the stuff out there? Hell yeah, I am, dude. That's awesome. I love <laughs> yeah. this stuff. Unlike you, I think it's a beautiful film. Um, well, I love the movie. It just grosses me out. I just no, I know. It. Well, what if I told you that the 30 minutes is primarily just an extended take of Garrett Morris uh, decomposing into white goo for 29 <laughs> of that 30 minutes? Does that do anything for you? <laughs> that makes it even grosser. I'm hyped on this. I mean, I, I don't know what is in the footage. I, I don't know if anybody's said yet uh, what's different about this cut, but love the movie. Uh, I don't own it in high def currently, so... Uh, if this gets a high def re- release, I, I won't be double dipping. So that'll be nice. Yeah, for sure. I am actually kind of glad that I've held off on picking up the Blu-ray. I know Arrow Video released a, a pretty sweet version of it. Um, but hopefully, yeah, we get a, an updated one with this director's cut and everything else that was on the Arrow release. Because, yeah, I would definitely pick that up. And I'd love to see more stuff. I feel, like the, more stuff. I feel like the stuff was one of the first kind of cult movies that I like realized was a cult movie. You know what I mean? Like I saw it late teens, early twenties or something like that. And I was like, I was like, Oh, th- this is a movie that I never heard of, but th- there is a passionate fan base out there for this thing. And it's so unique and different. I, I don't know. I, I have always really loved this movie for sure. Yeah. I saw it at a young age. I mean, clearly because I was traumatized by it. And yeah, it's, it's stuck with me. Well, I've got some, undeniably sad nerd news Uh, this comes via deadline.com we've learned this week that famous movie monster bart the bear 2 who was seen in such films as into the wild and we bought a zoo uh, has died this past week at the age of 21 Uh, there had been a decline in his health in the past year uh, but he did die peacefully at his home uh, over the weekend in heber city utah what Uh, kind of house does this bear have it's probably like a, a tasteful craftsman, I would imagine. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it was announced by um, Ryan Luti, the executive director of the Vital Ground Foundation, who I, I think does good work in like preserving bear habitats and stuff like this. So check them out if you're into bears. But uh, I mostly just wanted to call attention to this guy's or this bear's um, body of work and also the body of work of his his namesake. Or I don't think Bart the Bear 2 is actually biologically related to Bart the, the Bear 1, uh, but they had the, you know, the same trainers and uh, both had, you know, interesting careers. I guess, you know, the kid here, Bart the Bear 2, less impressive with his career, but he was famously the bear on Game of Thrones, which is exciting. Uh, he also played Bear in Pete's Dragon, uh, played Bear in Into the Wild, Dr. Doolittle 2, etc. But man, this motherfucker, Bart the Bear 1, who was active from 1977 to 2000. This guy did all kinds of cool shit. He was the bear in the bear. If you guys remember that movie from 1988, that was just about a bear. It was that silent or not silent, but wordless bear adventure movie from the late eighties that I watched mm-hmm. on videotape a whole bunch of times. Yeah. He I was saw that also, in the theater. Oh, that, that must've been an experience, dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was also the bald headed bear in the great outdoors with Dan Aykroyd and John Candy uh, and maybe most excitingly, well, it's kind of a split between Clan of the Cave Bear. He plays the bear, and he also plays bear in Benji the Hunted, which we watch on this show, and you know dozens of other movies. So, shout out to 
to these bears and their trainers. Uh, sorry to hear that um, they're going to have to be on the lookout, I guess, now for Bart the Bear 3. Do you guys have any favorite cinematic bears or cinematic animals? Yeah, if we're going cinematic bears, then I got to go Rocky the Bear. You know who that is? Let me look him up. We know why he's the best. Because he killed his trainer. <laughs> oh, oh, my damn. God. I didn't know about Rocky the Bear. He was in some Will Ferrell movie. But yeah, he's best known for killing his trailer. Oh yeah, he was in Semi Pro. I guess that's the thing. Like, do do we feel like the heyday of these animal actors is is maybe now past, and we're just gonna only see CG animals in movies going forward? Was the Revenant yeah, bear CG? I bet they had some real bear on set, but I think yeah, probably a lot of CG. That's a shame. These you know these trained thespians. I don't know how they're gonna get the stage time that they so sorely crave. These bears. <laughs> Yeah, but it's always sad to hear hear a bad about a bear dying. A bad news. This is bad news bears. It is bad news bears. <laughs> this is sad news bears. Kevin Moss. Yeah, I would be sad. Like I, I would be and was sad about Bart one. Bart two. I have no strong feelings about whatsoever. Not a fan of his work. This doesn't. Yeah, happen. I mean, I it, it's it's shitty for me to even think about you know besmirching the recently dead, but. You do look at his credits, and you're like, Bart, Bart 2, you could have worked a little bit harder. I mean, Bart 1 left a huge legacy. I, I know that you, he probably, you know, felt like he couldn't live in that shadow. And it's, I mean, it's a lot to live up to, but try a little harder than just being on Amazing Race in 2005 and <laughs> not much else that year, it looks like. Well, give Bart some, some slack. The man's dead. The bear's dead. <laughs> I did enjoy his five appearances on Man vs. Bear. Oh, yeah, who wouldn't? Uh, last thing I just wanted to call out real quick, uh, Blu-ray coming out this week uh, from the fine folks at Arrow Video who put out the stuff. Uh, it's Phantom of the Mall, colon, Eric's Revenge, finally getting its uh, digital debut. It had a shitty DVD back in the day that's long been out of print, and it's been highly coveted movie ever since. Um, but, yeah, it is finally getting a nice, crisp, clean Blu-ray from the fine folks at Arrow. Uh, it's actually got three different cuts of the movie as well. Uh, so that should be interesting. If you like, um, you know, the Sherman Oaks Galleria, if you like uh, Polly, young Polly Shore, as we've established, who doesn't? Um, and you like Phantom of the Opera, but set it a mall. Uh, let's see how, how these three different cuts of Phantom of the Mall stack up on this new Blu-ray. Would you guys, I, you know, we talked about this movie on the show. I know I don't think any of us were in love with it, but would you be willing to shell out a couple bucks, pick up this Arrow Blu-ray, and see these three cuts of the film and see how it uh, stacks up? Man, that you are signing me up for some killer homework there, Kevin Moss, to, to watch three cuts of this movie. I mean, that's I feel <laughs> like I should get some kind of a degree in film or something if I'm willing well, to. Well, you that. know, space it out. You know, every Thanksgiving, watch a different cut of the film, make okay, it a tradition. Okay. What I would be willing to do is watch whichever the three cuts Bowman determines is best to play as the double feature, you know, the the B movie with son-in-law up there at his Visalia <laughs> Polly Shore Fest. Um, but three, I mean, that's that's a lot, man. So here's the cuts: you got the original theatrical cut, which is what we watched. Then we watch the then there's the TV cut. Um, don't, contain, don't need that. You don't need well, that. Yeah, but it contains alternate, re-edited, re-edited, and deleted scenes. Um, 
Then you've got the third one is the composite fan cut. that combines footage from both the theatrical and the TV to make the complete phantom viewing experience. I think that's the one to watch. You mean that the longest one is the one to watch? Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, which does it say which one has the most Polly Shore screen time? <laughs> uh, yes, that would be the fan cut. All right. That's the one for me. But yeah, check that out. That's if, something you want to watch this Thanksgiving season. If the TV edit happens to have any of those funny word substitutions for curse words, then I'm back in. You know, if, if they're <laughs> oh, saying maybe. mother, father or whatever, you know, yeah. I'm into that. Mr. Falcon. Mr. Falcon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it. Well, while we sit on that and contemplate whether or not it's worth our money. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to get into our first short film of the evening. And it's a classic. It's Lucifer Rising from 1972, so stick around. Be our friend on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash junkfooddinner. We'll all get together and chat about the episodes and nerd news and how stupid the Robocop remake is. Find out about new and upcoming episodes, contests, and feel the ever-growing love we have for you. It's completely confidential, and there's no police involvement. Egypt, and I took Marianne Faithful and Donald Camel and Marianne Gabriel to Egypt. It was the most elaborate location trip I ever did. When you get a bunch of people out in a strange place like Egypt um, to try and make a film where there's no script and nobody really knows what it's all about except Kenneth, um, and they're all pretty wound up as well, and a lot of them were taking various, um, you know, uh, chemical substances. Uh, <coughs> it's not like working on a normal film. 
Welcome back to Junk Food Dinner. The first short film we're going to be taking a look at on the show this evening is Lucifer Rising, a short film that was originally released and completed in 1972, but only widely distributed into uh, in, in widely dis- distributed in 1980. Uh, but the movie is very 1972. Um, but yeah, this was a. Uh, Directed by uh, Kenneth Anger, who is a guy that I don't know a whole lot about. I feel like I should because he is fairly notorious in the world of filmmaking. Um, He worked exclusively in the short film format, never making any feature length films. But he is an interesting character. He came onto the scene relatively early. He started making movies at the age of 10 and had continued to make short films um, through the 40s, 50s, uh, 60s, and 70s. But then Lucifer Rising was kind of his, 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 you know, his peak. After that came out, he didn't do a whole lot, although he did return to making movies uh, around the millennium um, and has made a few short films in the 2000s. But... Um, an interesting guy, like I said, works mostly in short films. Uh, films usually have, from what I understand, some surreal or occult elements to them. Uh, also, he was one of the first openly gay film directors, and his movies, especially some of his older movies, have a lot of homoeroticism. At a time when that was Kevin basi- made me watch gay porn. Yeah, at a time when that was basically illegal. So he's a very kind of underground outlaw filmmaker. He also is an author, of course, uh, best known for his book, Hollywood Babylon. Um, not just a misfit song anymore. It's, it was uh, his fa- famous uh, kind of gossipy book about uh, old Hollywood and all the uh, the crazy murders and rapes and uh, bad things that happened amongst uh, some of the legends of old Hollywood. And yeah, so obviously that was a, a, a big seller and uh, probably the thing he's most known for, um, and then probably the second thing he's second most known for is this Lucifer Rising, uh, a movie, a short film that is has kind of a more interesting story of it being made than the, the actual film itself. The film itself is 30 minutes of basically psychedelic imagery um, of what I'm guessing is like some ancient uh, group of people outside Egypt uh, trying to summon the devil um, interspliced with people holding a occult ritual in a very colorful 1972, um, you know, atmosphere. And then, yeah, I guess summoning Lucifer himself, uh, which he shows up uh, in the form of a dude in a, you know, a nice satin jacket that says Lucifer on the back. The jacket itself, another thing that's become fairly iconic. I see, I've seen that pop up here and there. Uh, replicas of that jacket for sale and people wearing it. But, um, but yeah, uh, here it is. Here's Lucifer in the satin jacket with his name on the back. Uh, and yeah, the movie itself is, like I said, a very psychedelic, surreal experience. Um, and we talk about movies that are are good for like projecting behind a band. I think this is probably the ultimate one because of its psychedelic imagery. And I think ultimately that was kind of the idea of like how this movie was originally intended to be seen. Like they talk about 
screenings of this, you know, that Kenneth Anger would do before the film was officially complete with like the soundtrack and stuff where he would screen it with, uh, you know, belly dancers and live musicians and, uh, you know, probably some weird psychedelic light show. And most of the people in the audience were probably there for more of a, uh, you know, trip out than a, a film screening. As a matter of fact, I smoke pot. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but you probably should be under the influence of some, uh, mind altering drugs when watching this for the optimal experience, because it is a trippy movie made for when you're in a trippy, um, you know, kind of mood. I uh, like, like those drugs. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, this movie has an interesting history uh, of its production. Uh, Kenneth Anger, uh, you know, shot a lot of this and then worked on it for um, many years before it officially came out. He originally was working with um, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards uh, to kind of fund this film. And originally they were kind of tapped to make uh, some of the music in this. And the movie even features um, on-screen appearances by Mick Jagger's um, brother, Chris Jagger, as well as Marianne Faithful, um, who he was romantically um, connected to at the time. Uh, the movie also stars Kenneth Anger himself, uh, as well as Bobby Boussoulet, or Boussoulet. Um He is the guy who eventually did the music for this, and as Sean informed me before the show, most notably known as one of the dudes who did the Manson murders. Uh, so uh, he actually completed the soundtrack to this movie um, from jail. And so uh, originally he was he lived with Kenneth Anger and was slated to do the music for it. But as this movie progressed and had multiple incarnations, like I said, originally Rolling Stones were in talks to provide the music as well as uh, one Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin who is also, he appears in the movie, uh, but ultimately ended up not doing the the soundtrack after uh, he kicked Kenneth Anger out of his house. Who, who I guess he was living there, editing this movie, trying to put it together, uh, but eventually got on Gene Page's nerves, and he kicked him out and ended up not doing the music. So he went back to his original plan to have uh, Bobby Boussoulet do the, do the uh, soundtrack, but again, the only snag, he was in jail but somehow he's able to, <laughs> to do the soundtrack from jail. And there you have it. It came out in 1980. Um, and I, I you know, again, I think pro- probably the best way to see this movie is like, it's some sort of like happening, you know, where you could have some, maybe some bands playing, providing the soundtrack because it's dialogue list. You don't need any, you know, there's no subtitles required. Nothing really, ha- you know, there's no plot to get in the way of just tripping out. So you could add, you know, live music, like I said, belly dancers of a freaky fucking like show. That's probably the best way to see this movie. But, uh, you know, just sitting down and watching on TV, you might not have the same experience, but if you, if you're into psychedelia and you're into just like psychedelic imagery and aren't really taking this as a, you know, a narrative film and more just a, uh, interesting, um, psychedelic experience, I can see, you know, why this is kind of, uh, kind of has the, the classic status that it does. You know, this is definitely one that if you're in the right headspace, I think could be, you know, quite the, uh, the psychedelic trip. But if you're not, it's probably just going to be a boring collage <laughs> of weirdness. Uh, but I enjoyed it, um, because, you know, my third eye is open to that psychedelic experience and I would like to see this, uh, you know, projected behind a band or, or played in some 
sort of event capacity because I think that would be a lot of fun to see this with an audience, especially, you know, an audience, again, in the right mindset. So I thought this was interesting, and it was a good, um, you know, intro into the world of Kenneth Anger's short films. It sounds like it's a deep well, and I think he might, pro- might you know, pop up again in our short films week if we continue this uh the short films week because like i said he he didn't all shorts so he's the king of shorts but uh what did you guys think of lucifer rising yeah um you know i, I had wanted to rewatch some of these Ken- kenneth anger shorts uh for a while um i saw this in scorpio rising and and maybe another one or two uh in my 20s i, I had a friend who was real into Kenneth Anger and Stan Brakhage and and all those kind of, you know, mid-century um, avant-garde pioneers. And, and you know, I, I remember seeing this in my 20s and not really getting it at all. Uh, you know, that was before I had seen Jodorowsky or, you know, really anything like this. Um, and I This just is didn't... Very, very much Jodorowsky. That's, that's yeah. what I think it reminded me of. It's kind of like the Holy Mountain done more cheaply and with less of a story, you know, and, and it's only 30 minutes long. But I, I didn't know what this was. And, and I remember just being kind of like, all right, you know, that's that's a thing that I watched. But it, it didn't connect with me in my 20s. I figured now, you know, uh, being an older man and being more open to grandpa shit and, and having more of a taste for avant-garde kind of stuff, uh, I would be more into it. So, uh, you know, when you picked it, I was pretty excited to uh, get a chance to rewatch this. My primary advice to anybody who is going to watch this is watch this with headphones if you can. Um, I, I picked up on Amazon for like 10 bucks this cheap little Bluetooth receiver uh, that I use with my old, uh, you know, cheap old Apple earbuds. And, uh, you know, together with those two uh, ingredients, I can watch movies now as loud as I want, you know, without attracting coyotes, without, you know, pissing off the neighbors or or none of that, you know, and, and so I was able to watch this, you know, cranked up real loud. And this soundtrack by, yeah, noted murderer, uh, Bobby Bolsolale, however the hell you say his name, uh, is beautiful, you know, like hauntingly beautiful, as I guess you would expect uh, from a guy who's got nothing but time on his hands, you know, serving a life sentence. Um, but it's it sounds great, and, and the use of, like, stereo effects on it, are really interesting. There's a lot of like panning left and right that I think you might miss out on if you watch this, you know, just through your TV speakers. So give that a shot. You know, it's it's on there uh, on YouTube and in, in pretty good quality, both audio and visual. Um, sidebar about this guy, though, you know, this Bobby Bolsolel, um, you know, there's a whole lot of interesting facts about him on Wikipedia, um, as you would expect <clears throat> from a guy, you know, mixed up in those Manson murders. But there was one thing on there that I had never seen before or never knew before, which was uh, at 16 years old, he had a brief appearance playing the character of Cupid in the 1967 film Mondo Hollywood, uh, which was a documentary about the political climate of Los Angeles, uh, that also featured hairstylist Jay Sebring, who was later murdered by the Manson family. So kind of a funny, small little world there, I guess, in late 60s Hollywood. Um but I think what you said about this being more interesting as, you know, a story in terms of like behind the scenes, you know, like the story of this being made is is maybe more interesting than the actual movie itself. You know, there's all kinds of interesting 
uh, tidbits on the Wikipedia about, you know, Mick Jagger, uh, you know, composing a soundtrack for this on a Moog synthesizer late at night, one night with Kenneth Anger, seemingly like all in one night um, that later, you know, didn't end up being used for this, but would be used in Kenneth Anger's other short film uh, called Invocation of My Demon Brother. Uh, I didn't know that. I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, there's a whole lot of interesting facts on there about how Kenneth Anger, like, scammed a bunch of people out of money, basically, you know, all these various government loans and stuff that he was getting uh, to make this movie and, and to make the other shorts that he was making at the time. And so when you read all this, you know, it seems like there's a lot there. You know, I, I would totally watch like a biopic about this guy or a documentary, you know, about his life and experiences, because it seems like, you know, being in this guy's orbit in the 60s and 70s would have been just an an insane ride. You know, he's traveling the globe. He's partying with all these rock stars and artists and doing all the drugs under the sun, uh, you know, digging into the Aleister Crowley stuff. You know, he's he's partying with Jodorowsky. So I do think maybe Jodorowsky saw some of this stuff and, and maybe incorporated it into Holy Mountain, uh, which I think he started shooting in early 72, right? So, um, you know, it's it's an interesting piece. But what you said about actually watching this and, and the experience, maybe not living up to the story behind it, I, I think that's true. You know, uh, there is some cool imagery here. You know, I, I think this has maybe one of the all-time great title cards. It's got this flaming text yeah. that's like rising out of the ocean and it's reflecting on the water. It looks really cool. Uh, not the kind of title card that you would expect for a low-budget feature or or short. Um, looks like really just awesome. Um and the costumes are cool, and, you know, all this Aleister Crowley stuff is kind of cool. And um, it's, you know, if you look at this as, like, the the world's longest, weirdest music video, uh, I think it's a success. And if you like this music, which I do, uh, it's doubly a success. But, you know, watching it also with modern eyes in 2021, I think it's hard to realize or appreciate, like, how transgressive this might have been like i'm sure that there were audiences who saw this back in the day and thought you know wow you know movies can be anything and and probably there is an element there where i, I think you can credit kenneth anger and, and his cont- contemporaries of the time of kind of like opening up filmmaking you know there's like a democratization that happens there where people are like i guess anybody can make movie if this guy if this weird motherfucker is making a movie i guess anybody can do it it doesn't have to just be big studios you know and i think that's all cool but you watch it today and you're like, well, this is not that weird. You know, like guys are making weirder shit than this left and right and posting it to YouTube and getting like three views on it and, and nobody cares. But this guy was there first and you give credit for that. Um, yeah. So just, you know, if you go into this, I think just temper your expectations. Know that it's not going to be a narrative film necessarily, that it's just going to be this collection of weird kind of cool, colorful images. And, and for that, you know, I think it's worth your time. Uh, for what it's worth, uh, this movie has the longest Wikipedia page I've ever seen for a movie that does not contain the word plot. The word plot, I mean, <laughs> usually there's a section called plot on a Wikipedia page for a movie. This movie has, it's like 10 pages long or something. The word plot is not in there. You can search for it. So I thought that was kind of fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad to have revisited this. I like this more now than I did you know, when I was a kid. And I'll probably like it more uh, when I'm even more of a grandpa. But check this out if you haven't. I only know Kenneth Anger from 
that part in Cecil B. Demented when all the the terrorists have tattoos of their favorite directors. And he's one of them. So I've always kind of like vaguely been curious about him uh, because of that, because I like that movie. Uh, I had no idea what he did. I knew he did short films somehow, but I had no idea like what the subject matter was or uh, anything like that. Um, so I was bummed to learn that the subject matter is hippie occultism because that's some of my least favorite stuff. Oh, uh, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I mentioned it last week, but I was certainly thinking it while watching altered States because it's a, a Ken Russell thing, but it's like when directors or, or just anybody, uh, like dudes on the street, <laughs> even or songwriters or whoever it is, like when dudes are like real super and like ponderous about religion, like I just don't care. I don't. It's not content that I'm interested in. It's not necessarily a conversation I'm interested in. Uh, I don't think that there's a whole lot of interesting stuff there. And you know, I recognize that a lot of people disagree, and that you know, thinking about. The Vatican is like super cool for some people for some reason. <laughs> Let me ask you this, Bowman. Did you ever read uh, in your 20s or I guess at any point in your life um, the Illuminatus books, the Illum- Illuminatus trilogy from Robert Anton Wilson? I did not know. I don't even think I've heard of those. Because I, well, I, I feel like you might like them and that might be kind of the Rosetta Stone for you to get into this like hippie nonsense. You know, like it's. It's kind of all about, you know, the the hippie subculture and weird conspiracy theories. And it it ties together like Aleister Crowley and Anton LaVey and, uh, you know, Adolf Hitler and and all this stuff in a weird way. But, um, yeah, I I was just curious. Okay, Yeah. I mean, I do like Anton LaVey, who he kind of falls in with with this. this Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's in this world. Yeah. I think anger and him were, were fairly close. Yeah, a yeah. photo of him appears in this movie, but he does not appear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I like that guy. So I don't know. I mean, I could probably fall into it, you know? Give me some heavy doobies one night and give me the right Wikipedia page and maybe. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, I don't, you know, there's not a lot here. I mean, I don't know that there's a lot here, like, that is being conveyed to these images in general. And then there's, like, definitely not a lot here that I want to pick up on because i don't you know it's just not my thing um but you know this this would be really good to play behind your band i mean you know if your band is the kind of band that um you know like that like who's that band kevin that you like the is it acid witch yeah that the name of the band this would be perfect it's acid bitch (laughs) this would be perfect behind that band uh, maybe like the band Him, you could play this behind. <laughs> um, you know, bands like that. I'm sure Black Sabbath did play this behind their sets a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, it's perfect for that. And yeah, if you just want to throw something on and look at it while while you uh, smoke heavy doobies, I'm all for it. Um, and I mean, this guy's interesting. You know, I don't know. I'd probably watch some of his other stuff, but this just wasn't for me. All right. Well, that's fair. Yeah, it's certainly not for everybody. And like I said, don't go into it looking for a worthwhile story or a, you know, compelling 
I don't know, look at anything really other than psychedelia. <laughs> but if you like psychedelia, you can trip out to this for sure. Uh, but yeah, I think that just about wraps it up for Kenneth Anger's Lucifer Rising from 72 slash 1980. Um, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to get into our next short film. I don't know if we could call it a film, but it's a TV special. It's Playboy's Roller Disco and Pajama Party from 1979. So stick around. Baba boom. Remember that time we burned you that ween CD and had your back in that bar fight and gave you hundreds of free podcasts? Well, it's time to return the favor, bro. Search iTunes for Junk Food Dinner or follow the link on junkfooddinner.com. Then subscribe to the show, give us a five-star rating, and leave a review with nice words and exclamation points. Now we're even. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. you to Playboy's Roller Disco and Pajama Party with your host Richard Dawson and guest stars The Village People, Chuck Mangione and the Chuck Mangione Quartet, Wayland and Madam, and special surprise celebrities, plus a preview of Playboy's Playmates of the 80s.
right, welcome back to Junk Food Dinner, the next uh, short film slash TV special. Um, on the show tonight, it's going to be Playboy's Roller Disco and Pajama Party from 1979. Because why uh, would you just have a roller disco when you can have a roller disco and pajama party? It's two great tastes, Kevin Moss. And, and you know, some would argue they, they're even better together. Um, and, and that's what I wanted to find out in picking this this week, because... Uh, I had never seen this before. I had wanted to see this for for a few years at least. You know, there's that movie um, They All Laughed, uh, directed by Peter Bogdanovich, that stars uh, Dorothy Stratton, uh, one of the playmates in this. Um, and I caught that at the New Beverly and, and was impressed with her in the movie and, and wanted to look up what she had done uh, in her tragically short life. Because if, if you don't, if the name doesn't strike a... It doesn't ring a bell with you. Uh, Dorothy Stratton was the woman killed by a, a jealous ex-lover. Uh, it was documented in um, the feature film Star 80, uh, but famous story of a you know a very beautiful um, and talented Playboy playmate who sadly was uh, murdered very young, and and so she didn't get a, a whole lot of chances to do much. Um, but I liked her in that movie, and and so I looked her up on IMDb. Uh, around that time, and and I saw that she had done this, that she had this credit, and so I added it to my Letterboxd watched list at the time because surprisingly this is on Letterboxd, although probably not too surprisingly, I'm I'm probably the guy that added it now that I think about it. Um, <laughs> but was curious because, like I said, she had not done very much. Um, she was in that movie Galaxina that you, you might remember. She had a couple appearances on TV shows like Fantasy Island. Uh, and then wasn't, there was, she, wasn't her last role in Fast Times? Ooh, maybe. Uh, could be. I think she was. Uh, she just had that brief appearance at the end where she's the guy from the the creepy Mister Vargas's uh, wife. Oh, could be. That may be. Anyway. That I don't know, but what I do know is that this thing aired on ABC stations around this fine country of ours on November 23rd, 1979 at 9 p.m. Um, and to this date, sadly, uh, this might surprise you, uh, it has not seen an official home video release, but uh, thanks to various YouTube uploaders, you have a, a, a pick of, of various different VHS and Betamax rips that you can watch of this. Um, I, I actually do kind of hope someday this does get an official re- release. I'm sure it will never happen, but uh, I would like to get some pixels on this thing. Even if, you know, the taped off TV versions um, humorously feature these commercial breaks in which a news anchor comes in to trash talk <laughs> the program, which is probably the best part of this whole thing. Yeah, the guy comes in and he's like, don't associate me with this programming that you're watching. Uh, if, if you want to turn off your TV and disgust right now, I totally understand, etc. It's It's pretty funny stuff. Uh, but let's talk about what this stuff is uh, that he was so upset about. Um, I'll, I'll give you a blow-by-blow account of all the events of this thing. So it starts off with an opening montage uh, that shows off the well-built Playboy Mansion, as they put it, and its surrounding grottos. We get a series of these little vignettes of the playmates playing volleyball in the pool and sun tanning and stuff like this. Uh, You get these very fun, super long-distance zooms on videotape, which look kind of ridiculous. Uh, We meet our host, Richard Dawson, you might remember him from uh, Family Feud or The Running Man. Uh, he pops in to hit on Dorothy Stratton very awkwardly for a minute. 
but before you know it, we get our first musical number uh, by jazz man Chuck Mangione. Uh, but thankfully, they don't let the musical number interfere with their montage work because uh, the show just kind of continues being a collection of random shots of people lounging around the yard for a bit while Mangione plays underneath, which, you know, is probably better than close up shots of Mangione blowing his horn. Uh, because some of these shots include James Kahn lounging around the yard together with uh, the super leather daddied out guy from the village people. <laughs> it's fun to see those guys hanging out together. Um, after about probably 10 minutes of this inane montage, we finally get some content, uh, which is a video retrospective of Hugh Hefner's last birthday party at the mansion, uh, where I guess they had staged some weird olympic games kind of ceremony with the playmates doing sack races and crap like that uh but you get some interviews at this point with the hugh dog himself and and by the way 79 hefner is not especially camera ready he looks pretty nervous he's like fiddling with a cigarette lighter through his entire interview while he's you know trying to do small talk um but you know he does find a way to get out of the interview and over to his large Native American headdress that he puts on and starts skating <laughs> around the tennis court yeah. in a moment that maybe has not aged very well. I uh, think uh, I think he was clearly driving that train high on cocaine. Yeah, <laughs> it could be. It, yeah, it could be that the uh, you know the reason for his fiddling and selection of headwear there might be a, a single motivating factor behind both of those. And it probably is cocaine. Uh, but eventually, the awful Dawson returns to crack a joke at the expense of the ladies that were supposed to be celebrating. Uh, he says, there's Dorothy Stratton. She's so proud of her gold medal, she had it bronzed. And, and we all laugh at home at, at Dawson's hilarious jokes. Uh, <laughs> then we get an advertising break. Um, there's a, a cool commercial for Tostitos and some other ones. But then finally, we're ready for roller disco time. Uh, the girls lace up their skates and we're off to the races. And by that, I mean that we watch a montage of uh, skates being laced up and then girls shaking their butts while skating with James Kahn on a tennis court. It's very exciting <laughs> stuff. Uh, all as we listen to a strange disco cover of Pink Floyd's Have a Cigar and some other weird musical selections. Um, following this, the recently exonerated super felon, uh, Bill Cosby pops in for half a minute to play tennis <laughs> with Cheryl Teagues on screen and, and, and do well. I don't even want to think about what he does off screen, but thankfully that's over quickly enough so that we can get back to the business at hand, which is consensual ogling of disco dancing ladies on roller skates, but then more commercials, uh, first for Blake Edwards, uh, movie 10, then for some perfume, then for a TV movie called When She Was Bad, starring Cheryl Ladd that I actually added to my Letterboxd watch list because it looked kind of cool. Some weird forgotten TV show called Ski Scene that's like some kind of a ski patrol crime show that I'm kind of curious about now. Uh, then we get that newscaster coming in to talk trash and, and some other commercials. But then, finally, we cut into the mansion, the interior of the Playboy Mansion, uh, you know, where as little boys, we all we all dreamed of, you know, seeing the inside of now we can finally see, you know, that the production has to, you know, uh, bother to set up some indoor lighting, I'm sure, for these old video cameras that they got. But but they do it and we get to enjoy this disco dance party scene in, in a ballroom uh, that leads to probably the best segment in this, I would say, which is the village people singing a song called 
Rock and Roll is Back Again, which is a bold statement for a disco band to be singing (laughs) on stage, but they commit to it, and the audience is having a ton of fun with them. Uh, It's actually a fun little musical performance. Uh, Then we get some more commercials. Then we get a super brief interview segment with the Playmates of 1980, all of whom are excited about their upcoming spreads and only some of who seem to be dead-eyed from drug use. (laughs) Then uh, we get some behind-the-scenes footage of what it's actually like to do a Playboy shoot in the late 70s, which I thought was actually um, kind of a cool segment, maybe worth the price of admission right there to see like these old-school cameras and these giant old lights that they would use to shoot these um, Playboy spreads, kind of a fun little segment. Then we get more commercials. Um, one of them is a Ruffles chip advertisement that's set at a drive-in theater. I thought that was fun. Yeah. And one is for hefty trash bags that promises more stretching for more stuffing, which you think they got to, you know, this is Aaron during a Playboy special. You feel like they got to have known what they were saying there. More stretching for more stuffing. I'm on to you guys, hefty. Uh, but after this, we go back to the dance party. Uh, where NFL slash exploitation great Jim Brown has to put up with some real bullshit racist puppeteering from a comedic <laughs> puppeteer named Wayland Flowers. Uh, that was uncomfortable, and you could tell that he was not having it. Uh, wow. I, I hope that there is somewhere, you know, that some assistant director walked away with a, with a tape, you know, that runs a little bit longer, because I'm convinced as soon as this camera cut, you know, he... Uh, just punched Wayland Flowers right in the face because <laughs> he looks pissed. Uh, but after this, we go back to uh, the Village People for a second song entitled Ready for the 1980s. And again, everybody seems to be having a lot of fun with this song. Uh, then Chuck Mangione comes back in to close things out with a little jam by the poolside. Now it's nighttime at the Playboy Mansion. Um, and that's the right time for Richard Dawson to once again flirt with Dorothy Stratton. Uh, even land in a kiss on her, which is probably the worst thing to happen to Dorothy Stratton, all things considered. And then, thankfully, this is over. Um, and and that is the Playboy roller disco pajama party. You know, it's <clears throat> it's not great. Uh, I didn't love it as a viewing experience. You know, I, I think it it does sort of fit into a tradition of similar entertainment that I enjoy. You know, like this year, I've been watching a ton of of old timey musicals and. You know, they come in a, a few different flavors, and and one of those flavors uh, of old-timey musical is, you know, rather than putting together a, a story and, you know, meaningful characters or anything like this, uh, they'll just trot out a bunch of cute-looking girls and famous people to just jiggle their way through a, a stage show for 75 minutes, you know, basically just a filmed variety show. And I kind of like those. I, I think those can be fun. You know, if the performers are fun... If the staging is creative, you know, if if they have set design or any kind of production value, I don't think you necessarily need a story. You know, I'm into variety because um, I've got a, a pretty low attention span. If, if you can just change things out every few minutes and keep me entertained that way, uh, I'm all for the better. And I think this connects to those in a way. I mean, granted, this is of vastly lower quality in every respect uh, than even the lowest budget 1930s uh, variety show musicals that I've seen. But it's got its charms. You know, it's very 70s. You know, I think this is peak 70s-ness. You know, the fashions are fun. It's fun to see the Playboy Mansion at arguably its most important time, you know, in the culture. 
Um, and it's it's all shot on that kind of videotape that you would see um, used in like old wrestling events where like the indoor shots here, uh, whenever the camera moves, all the lighting strobes heavily on the tape. You get these big white streaks across the screen from the indoor lighting. And I get, you know, I mean, even if that is, I guess, technically a defect of early video technology, I like that look. So it's, I, you know, I enjoyed that about it. And I, it didn't, it, you know, it didn't get on my nerves. Um, I, I, like I said, didn't love it. And I am still looking for, you know, the 1970s TV variety special of my dreams that I'm going to love. That's, you know, I'm, I'm going to be uh, singing its praises to anybody who can hear it. This is not that. I will st- still keep looking for that, you know, uh, and maybe it doesn't exist, but um, I'm having fun with these 70s variety specials, and I hope you guys are as well. But what did you think about Playboy's Roller Disco and Pajama Party? I never heard of this and was intrigued by the premise as a fan of roller discos and pajama parties. Um, I think you covered a lot of stuff. One thing that I kept thinking of while watching this is with everything that's going on in it like obviously like even though the news anchor cuts in and like talks about how offensive (laughs) this is and like how it's disgusting trash um i think this was like the only time that you could air something like this on it's in the time frame i mean probably the 90s were like a real edgy time that you could do whatever you wanted but like this was like the sweet spot where you could something like this could happen like and so i was thinking like would this say you showed this exact special in like 40 years before and 40 years after so like 1940 and 2020 who do you think would be more mad about it like what time frame do you think this would be more taboo in the 1940s or the 2020s because certainly neither like current day and the old z time these guys like just would not be having this like i think Either bookend of 1979 would hate this. Like, well, I, I think if you aired this in 1940, Hugh Hefner would be a de facto national hero for his Indian headdress wear. You know, been like <laughs> people would have loved this. I think this would have been popular in the 40s. Are Are you kidding me? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the old, people, the old times were not as prudish, I think, as we sometimes think that they were. Like, their sexuality was still a thing, and it's not like there's nudity in this. You know, like there's there's a lot of old timey musicals that get right up on the edge of nudity. Like if you act and not even just musicals, if you watch that Niagara, that film noir with Marilyn Monroe, you can pretty much see her nipples through this very sheer dress that she's wearing, you know, and they knew what they were doing. My goodness. But like, well, but today, yeah, that would be rip shit. <laughs> Cause it objectifies women. It objectifies Jim Brown. Uh, it's got way too many village people songs for a, a, a modern audience. Yeah, nobody would be happy mm-hmm. with this. Yeah, Cosby is in it. Um, yeah. Well, but I, I think there's like modern day versions of this. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. This was like kind of the same stuff that they would like show on the E Network. You know, <laughs> like you yeah. know, just a few well, years. Cab- ago. Cable TV well, is a is a wasteland of of bad values. Kevin Moss, we're talking yeah. network. The E network stopped doing like Wild On like twenty years ago though. Like Wild On was was a lot like this, and like some of that late night E stuff. But that was a long time ago. Okay, I don't think you can do this kind of stuff nowadays, which makes it all the all the better to see now. 
like, it's I mean, finally come around to this. It, you know, 2021 is nearly over. You know, we got our eyes on the end of the year. And Bowman is now, you know, he's he's pointing out the cancel culture. This is finally happening. I, I'm, I'm not even cancel culture necessarily. Just like the way that taboos have changed. Like, I'm sure everybody in 1979 was like, yo, this is the future. And in 40 years, we're just going to be able to turn on every single channel and look at naked chicks and watch people do cocaine and wear whatever kind of ancient Indian headdresses we want. Like, that's just how the future is going to roll. And for whatever reason, every aspect of this is taboo now. And also I'm saying that it would have been – I think it would have been taboo in 1940. I think that those guys loved cancel culture as well. You guys don't think this would be very taboo? Just the inclusion of Bill Cosby alone is taboo. You cannot air this today. I think I think it's absolutely taboo today. There's I, I, a reason that this has been suppressed from home video distribution. It's not lack of interest. I'm out there clamoring. Mm-hmm. No, I think you guys are making too big of a deal of this. You think that that they could air this nowadays and people would be cool with it? Yeah. I, I think the bigger question is, do we want them to air this these days? And honestly, I mean, there's not that much here, so... Uh, well, probably not. No, I mean, it's like really bad. <laughs> so I mean, probably not. But I, don't know, I was just wondering. If I'm going to get worked up about any controversial media, it's going to be Song of the South. You know, this can stay buried for all I care. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. The one thing that I didn't, that I wouldn't want to stay buried about this is the fact that they use that making it song, that disco song. Oh, yeah. Well, that shook me to my core. You sound like you're familiar with the song, Kevin, but Isn't I thought... It's in uh, Roller Boogie or one of those movies, right? Roller Town, yeah. That's in Roller Town. I believe it's in Roller Town. Now, now I'm second guessing myself. It might have been in Roller Boogie, but I think it's in Roller Town because I. Th- it was my understanding, or in my brain, that was a fake song for Roller Town, which is a movie that's full of fake songs and like fake '70s stuff. So I was shocked to find out it's a real song. And then I looked it up. And do you know who sings this song? Who's that? The dude from American Werewolf in London. David Naughton. What? What? (laughs) Yes. Really? Well, if I think so. If not, he does a song called Making It, a disco song called Making It. And if there are two different disco songs called Making It, I'm sending me back to 1940. (laughs) <laughs> so i'm pretty sure that that's his song i'll listen to it during the break to confirm but needless to say all of that information blew my mind um and then yeah like uh i mean despite the news anchor that we talked about like freaking out like i didn't think that there was anything like circa 1979 that was like too crazy about this like you guys said like there's no naked ladies really um there's like the one lady who eats a hot dog very suggestively at one point uh and then like but just the fact that this is on network television like you said i think that's probably enough to make a, a, a few old ladies in 1979 clutch their pearls <laughs> i think you're right and they do do kind of like a. I, I mean i don't know like like an explanation like they like they bring in a bunch of centerfolds to talk to richard uh dawson mm-hmm. and like and like he's like hey do you does your family know you do this salacious stuff and they're just like oh yeah yeah they love it they're cool with it so like they do like kind of 
do like some, hey, we're not so bad anymore, old ladies kind of a thing. But it's also super gross at the same time because she says, yeah, my dad reads every issue. And it's like, (laughs) that's fucking gross, dude. (laughs) And that's that's the thing about this that I think is off putting. It's it's not it's not really the content of it in terms of like this is actually not that sexual. I, I don't think like I think you could find stuff probably in 1970s TV that's like more sexualized than this despite it being, you know, a Playboy Mansion special. What's the grossest thing is just these leering old men. You know what I mean? Like, that's the only part of this that's uncomfortable. (laughs) It's like, these girls want to get naked, and we, the at-home viewer, are enjoying it. I think everybody's happy. But you feel for them having to deal with these skeevy guys on, you know, the daily basis. Yeah, your Cosby's coming in playing tennis for you. And your James Cons. I'm sure, I'm sure he's got some skeevy skeletons. He just might. He just might. Um, but but you're right. Like, I mean, this may even have been kind of tame for the time because at one point they they show a commercial for a show called like Vegas or something that I'd never heard of. And like the plot for that show, like they do like a commercial for it is like that, like some cops have to like uh, go undercover because like uh, like a porn star has been like brutally murdered as part of like a prostitution ring or something like this. And it's like, wow, this sounds, this sounds great. We got to watch that show. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe some people were doing kind of salacious stuff at the time. Cause yeah, this is just like ladies roller skating. It's not very, it's not too scandalous, but, uh, you know, I mean, they obviously weren't trying to be too scandalous or anything. They were just trying to like, you know, have a fun time, get some boners hard, maybe, um, I bet before the there's definitely some scenes in this that are supposed to make your <laughs> penis hard. I bet before the days of like being able to rent porn and HBO and stuff, like there was probably like four or five years where this was like the most traded tape that people had. You know, like if you're like you know like uh, people taping this and like trading it to their friends and stuff, because like I can't imagine that they ever showed this more than once. And for a long time, there was probably like no other playboy content you could get you know like they weren't putting out tapes or anything like that like now tell me who was the source of this videotape (laughs) i bet this was a real hot commodity among the vhs tape traders back in the day for a while which i mean is evidenced by the fact that there's like 30 different copies of it on youtube yeah yeah this this survived somehow you know yeah you wouldn't think but yeah i mean i don't know it's like an interesting curiosity it's kind of boring but it's interesting. Yeah, for sure. This is definitely an interesting curiosity from a bygone era that I was not alive for, but it it is intriguing for sure. You know, like you said, I mean, this definitely falls in line with a lot of those televised uh, specials that we've done where it's, you know, they just get a celebrity like Telly Savalas or Linda Carter, and they would do these kind of like variety specials. And this was kind of along the same lines, but they were like, well, let's do it on location at the Playboy mansion we'll have hefner there and uh we'll have a bunch of beautiful girls and that'll kind of fill itself we'll get some musical guests and we'll get the guy from family feud to host it and boom we got ourselves a special and yeah i could see you know where they're coming from and uh like you said it's surprisingly tame and it's surprisingly kind of boring i mean a lot of it is just chuck mangione playing fucking you know trumpet and shit while like (laughs) 70s ladies just kind of bob their heads sitting politely in the audience and then 
Richard Dawson, who's normally a creep, kissing all the ladies on Family Feud, is doubly a creep when let loose in the Playboy Mansion. Uh, you know, just forcing. Next thing kisses. you know, he's boning this chick. Yeah, forcing kisses from chicks and <laughs> just being an old creepy dude as he tended to be. And then, you know, speaking of old creepy dudes, you got Hefner just creeping everybody out in the background. I and feel yeah, like jerking off the way my grandpa did. Not really. I mean, I love, <laughs> I love the you know like the the seventies, late seventies you know playmates. They're all looking looking foxy, and some of them are looking, you know, real foxy. And you know they got the knee high socks and the roller skates, and you know, they, let's face it, there's some good looking ladies. But at the same time, eh, it's just like, eh, what? It's just like ladies that are. Now in their you know fucking seventies, um, just just roller skating around, and you know it is what it is. Uh, it was funny to see the village people on hand. You know, knowing that I think most of those dudes were gay. Probably not a lot of uh, not a lot of eye candy for them. I guess maybe they were checking out James Con or something. And yeah, the the Wayland flowers and madam puppetry. Oh my God. I knew about that, that <laughs> madam puppet, but I didn't know about like the, the black counterpart that he had. The, like you said, just creeped out James or, um, Jim Brown, Jim Brown. Yeah. I was like, not, not James Brown, Jim Brown, uh, in that one scene was, yeah, off putting to say the least. And, uh, yeah, I like uh, Dorothy Stratton. I mean, yeah, she's obviously very beautiful, and it's good to see her on in anything. But yeah, the fact that like most of her on-screen time at the end is for being forced to fucking kiss weirdo uh, Richard Dawson was ugh. I don't know. That whole thing sucked. But nevertheless, like you said, fun kind of glimpse into 1979 television and entertainment and uh the 1979 world of playboy uh, i yeah i love the commercial breaks and I, I especially love the news reporter that thought he was too good for it and was like i just want everyone to know i have nothing to do with this or if you're not totally disgusted by now i wouldn't blame you blah blah, blah. it's like all right take it easy dude like i don't know i just find find that funny but yeah i mean um definitely an interesting time capsule um, try to ignore the, the creepiness of all the old men in this um, and try to focus more on the fun things like Ruth Buzzy uh, skating around with these Playboy Playmates. Now that, that's the kind of fun we all can enjoy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. By the way, Ruth Buzzy is still out there and a great follow on Instagram. She's funny. Oh, yeah, she is. And she was there skating with the ladies. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting time capsule. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, um, you know, if, if you are in the mood for this kind of a time capsule, like I said, it's out there on YouTube. There's multiple versions. Look it up. You know, it's it's uh, it's it's something else. Uh, they, they don't make them like this anymore. Uh, whether or not that's a good thing, I guess jury's still out. But uh, we will take a quick break and then we'll come back to talk about next floor. Stick around.
Welcome back to Junk Fight Schlitzie. The final Schlitzie this evening is Next Floor, a 2008 movie directed by Denis Villeneuve. <laughs> this, um, this I wanted to do because, uh, A, the original thing I picked for this week, the Warhammer short film, as I mentioned last week, sucked, and I didn't want oh. to subject anybody to it. And also... Uh, I recently learned that this existed. Denis Villeneuve, or however you say his name, um, is a director I am deeply interested in. Though right now I'm mad at him because I did not like Dune. And I wanted to uh, see some of his other other stuff. Uh, Hopefully like something a lot. Get him back into my highest rated directors list on Letterboxd. Because he did fall out of that list, sadly. He was replaced uh, by, I think, Neil Breen, appropriately enough. Well, of course, that's only natural. <laughs> Which of his movies have you seen? Because we've done a few on the show, right? And then there's yeah. a few others. And I, this is not, like, his first thing, right? Like, I think there's a feature before this, I believe. Yeah, I know he's done a few French-language movies um, before this. Let's see. Before this, he did, yeah, Maelstrom, uh, August 32nd on Earth, 120 seconds to get elected. I'm not sure how many of these are features, but yeah, I don't think that this is his first thing. And, uh, and then I guess he was making this while he made this polytechnic thing. I don't know what that is. Actually, maybe some of his other stuff. Okay, Maelstrom may be the only feature he directed before this. And then he did like some shorts and like, oh, and August 32nd on Earth. That's a feature too. So yeah, he did some stuff before this. I have you've, his, you've seen Sicario and Enemy and Prisoners and Arrival and Blade Runner and Dune. I, except for Prisoners, I haven't seen, which is a shame because people love that and it's probably very good. Have you seen that one? I have not seen Prisoners, but I, I like Jake Gyllenhaal, so I'm, I'm open to watching it. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things. But yeah, I haven't seen his, his French language stuff um, in Cindy's or Polytechnic. And I hear that's very good. Brady Stanellis, my man, he talks about those movies all the time on his podcast. He loves those. So I should probably check those out at some point. But I love his American sci-fi stuff. Enemy, Blade Runner, and Arrival, I mean, aside from Dune, are like three of my favorite movies of the last X amount of years. Like I, we talked about enemy on the show and I love it. And I, don't, I didn't really like Sicario, but I should probably rewatch it, I guess. But, um, so he's a guy who interests me greatly. He's a guy who I, I feel has left me flat with a couple movies, but I really love a few of his other ones. And so I wanted to check this out. Why not? He's got a, a short film. Let's see what it's about. And in the film, uh, a cabal of weird rich people are being pampered. They uh, are being fed the finest foods, wearing the nicest clothes. Um, and we see that the, the foods get more and more extravagant. You know, it's like a big, huge pig at first. And then we see, you know, the, the finer sausages inside the pig. We see some uncooked brains. Uh this is going to be a lot like what my Thanksgiving is going to be like. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. I also kind of, yeah. Knowing like the main broad strokes of what this was, I thought that it would make for a good Thanksgiving uh, week moving. Uh, so then like the servants that surround these weird people, 
start bringing in weirder stuff. They're bringing in lions and like rhinos and um, more uncooked brains inside of oysters and everything like this. And these people are just chowing down, having a good time. Um, they're bringing in so much stuff. These people are eating so much stuff. They start falling through the floor. Son of a bitch. <laughs> and then the servants Which, have to. I, I, mean, I don't understand the logic of that because, like, the food would still weigh the same on the table or in their stomachs. I was thinking that too. It's very cartoony where, like, a guy will pick something up off the table and then swallow it and then they fall. But it's like, yeah, like, Bill Nye would not be happy with the science of this. But, uh, <laughs> but what can you do? Um, so yeah, so the the um, servants they they're trying to coordinate how to find them on the next floor down, and the guys keep falling, and they keep eating, and they keep falling, and the servants are trying their hardest to keep up. The guys are getting covered in soot and drywall, but they're still eating, all gross. And uh, there comes a point where you think maybe they're done. They look full, and then one guy like picks up a tiny piece and eats it. And then that sets off another frenzy where everybody else, all the rich, wealthy people have to keep up with him. No one wants less than this guy. So now they're eating again. And uh, it's just like this endless, absurd um, kind of experiment where these people are just gluttons and everything's falling down around them. And it's a it's a not subtle, but still very fun and effective metaphor for uh, elite folks. You know, just gorging themselves on the finest shit while everything else falls down around them kind of a thing. It's only 11 minutes, so they never get too, you know, it doesn't outstay its welcome. You you know, at least for me, I didn't think at any point, all right, I get it. It's rich people. Like, it's, I think it's uh, visually interesting enough that, that it doesn't get on, on your nerves or get stale or anything like that. Um, and it's also very off-putting. Like, it's kind of anxiety inducing like sound design and you know there's a scene near the end where like one of the servants just looks into the camera at you for a while and like just the gross shit that these people are eating and yeah it's It's vulgar it's very vulgar it it will unsettle you kind of reminded me of that french movie we watched where like the old people get around and like fart on each other for a long time yeah yeah kind of reminded me of that for sure um and yeah so i don't know yeah i thought this was cool i mean it looks really good you know um you would think maybe by the plot that these people get together and eat a bunch of weird gross shit that it would be like some bills above stuff but i mean it looks i think it works because it looks so good um and there's like a lot of interesting shots like you know you get to see them fall down through the the floors and like the lamp that follows them and like oh that's like cool little lighting stuff so um so yeah i thought this was good it uh, it rinsed my mouth out of that Dune aftertaste, and now I, I enjoyed this quite a bit, and I'm back on board with my man, with my man Denis. So, uh, how did you guys feel about this? Yeah, I didn't know anything going into this except that it was directed by the dude who just recently directed Dune, um, and that it was 11 minutes, and that's the right time for me. I can appreciate anything for that long. Uh, but no, you're right. I mean, this looks really good. It's it's obviously very well shot. And, you know, the special effects of the table falling through the floor multiple times, I think all looks really good. Um, it's very stylized. You know, obviously these grotesque people 
sitting around the table, um, you know, and the way that they're, um, you know, it's just like a, it's a very, I don't know, caricature like cast of characters sitting around this table that are just like, they look like cartoon characters of rich people. And they, like you said, eat very fast in this kind of over dramatic manner. And, um, yeah. And, you know, you get the, like, like you said, the, the point of it becomes very clear right away what the metaphor is. And, you know, you get where this is going, you know, they're eating their way to the bottom and, uh, you know, but like you said, it looks so good visually that you're, you know, you're willing to, to take the ride. I think 11 minutes is probably about as long as I, I think this should go. You know, I think it, it, it does close to the end. You're kind of like, okay, I get it. You know, they're just going to keep falling through the floor, keep eating. <laughs> um, but still I like, you know, like you said, for 11 minutes, I'm willing to sit through it and just take in the visuals because it, it looks so damn good. And they've cast such interesting looking weirdos. Um, so yeah, I think for that alone, it's definitely worth a watch. I mean, I don't know, you know, again, this would be, I'm trying to think of like a good venue for this, like maybe at a film festival in between movies, um, or something like that. But yeah, I mean, short films are weird. It's, it's hard to kind of, especially when they're this short, like finding a home for it. Like where, where would this work? Like where, where would be a good place for this? But you know, I think it's definitely worth seeing because it has that, like you said, that that visual style that this director has kind of obviously become a little bit known for. And yeah, I think it overall just looks um, really cool, and it's you know an interesting concept if if only for eleven minutes, but still an interesting concept nonetheless. And yeah, I just I think it looks really good. So yeah, definitely worth a watch if you're uh, at all interested in this dude's movies. Yeah, I am uh, interested in this guy's movies. You know, as, as we've said on the show many times before, that I've, you know, I feel like this guy comes up fairly often. Um, I think he's an interesting filmmaker. Um, I, you know, hadn't seen this, didn't really know anything about it, hadn't, I don't think, even heard of it. And so I did kind of make the unfortunate mistake uh, when watching this. Uh, I was trying to have a little meal over here uh, <laughs> when oh. I put this on. And uh, that was not good timing on, on my part. So don't make that mistake. Um, you know, I, I guess the upside is that I, I saved myself some calories and, and saved some food for later. But, uh, yeah, this did not go well with um, with my planned meal of butter waffle cookies and ice cream. Um, in fact, you know, I, I knew so little about this that the first time somebody speaks on screen um, it's a guy who says in English, he says next floor into a, into like a, a telephone or something, but he says it with kind of an accent and I thought that it was in French. And so I was like scrambling to find a subtitled version of this for a little bit and I couldn't find one. And I was like, God damn it, I'm gonna have to watch this whole thing in French and just <laughs> pretend that I know what's going on. And then, uh, you know, I replayed it and pretty quickly I realized he was saying next floor in English and. And that was not a concern. And and I think that might be the, the only dialogue in this really is, is people saying next floor. That there's not a whole lot in this dialogue wise. Um, overall, you know, I, I don't think I thought that this was incredible because, you know, I, I think it's maybe not a good sign for your 11 minute short film when like the first adjective that comes to mind for me is the word repetitive. Um you know, within yeah. this short a 
time span. You should be able to feel kind of fresh and unique. But somehow, you know, they they just kind of they got one idea and they wanted to just do it over and over again, which I guess is kind of interesting. But I was surprised to see that somehow this has three credited screenwriters. There's a guy, <laughs> Jacques Davitz, who got the screenplay credit, and then story by Carolyn Bennett and Phoebe Greenberg. So it took three writers to come up with this screenplay, which is incredible. Um, I didn't like that ending where the guy just kind of stares into camera. I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, that was the most annoying shit of all time. Um, but overall, you know, I am sort of glad that this exists. You know, like Kevin Moss said, I, I don't know what the expected venue for this would have been. I mean, I guess it did play at film festivals and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> but it is one of those things where it's like, what do you do with this? Um, I, I think it works as kind of like a weird little palate cleanser, you know? Like, if you play this before a movie it's kind of a nice way to like transition you out of the real world and into the world of the movies. You know, if you played this before something like the shape of water or something like that, it's kind of like a nice way to, to ease into, into film world. Um, and it's also, you know, it, it, it's a lot like a kind of twisted version of a Looney Tunes cartoon in the way that it plays out. So it, it does kind of feel like appropriate for, you know, screening in front of a movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I didn't hate this. I thought the style was kind of cool overall. You know, I, I like all that super dusty stuff. Um, I like the fancy script font that they used for the credits. You know, it, it makes you feel like you're at some kind of a fancy French restaurant with your mom or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I, I wish that they had found more than one thing to do with their 11 minutes uh, instead of just doing that same thing like five times. Um, but yeah, kind of interesting. Um, I would have been more hyped, I think, if you had picked um, the three short films he produced for Blade Runner 2049 instead, which I guess he didn't direct, but um, those are on, on YouTube and they're about five minutes each and they're kind of interesting. Yeah, I've seen those. Those are, yeah, they're interesting. They like kind of give background and stuff to to some of the Blade Runner stuff that's going on. And I yeah. think Batista is the star of one of them, which I care for. I, I like him most yeah, of the time. There's an anime one. Oh, yeah, 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 there's that one. Yeah. Well, it seems like uh, there will be no shortage of Villeneuve. We'll probably do some more Villeneuve in the future. He's, uh, he's, he's very hot right now. So, uh, well, that wraps it up. For next floor, Anthony Villeneuve. Uh, we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to eat all of the brains and lions you got. So stick around. Hey, human scum! This odorous gerundum of war, and you are listening to Junk Food Dinner. I hope it tastes good.
All right. Well, that just about wraps it up for episode 595 of Junk Food Dinner. We'd like to thank everybody for tuning in and listening. If you like the show, visit our website, junkfooddinner.com, for all of our previous episodes easily chronicled for your listening pleasure. There you can also find links to all of our social media, including Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. Find us on Discord. Uh, just search for Junk Food Dinner on Discord. And, uh, yeah, join the join the chat. Get in the chat with us and tell us uh, what you think about the, the show and uh, movies and music and food and whatever else you want to talk about. Uh, also, if you want to get in contact with us and let your voice be heard, give us a call on the Junk Food Dinner voicemail line at 347-746-JUNK. That's 347-746-5865. Or send us an email at jfdpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, even better, if you want more Junk Food Dinner in your life, uh, you can visit our website or our Patreon page at patreon.com slash junkfooddinner where you, for five bucks a month, uh, you can get a monthly bonus episode as well as access to all of our already recorded bonus episodes, uh, over 50 in total. And you can uh, listen to that for, like I said, five bucks a month. Uh, or for $10 a month, you can be one of our uh, Dom DeLuise Patreon donors and pick the movies once a month when we do our Patreon pick show. And that's a great segue because next week is, in fact, another one of those Patreon pick shows. Uh, and that is going to bring us Raw from 2016, picked by Chris B, Casino from 1995, picked by Kessa, and Emmanuel in America from 1977, picked by Paul M. So that should be a lot of fun. Make sure you tune in for that. So until next time, this is Kevin Moss for Parker Bowman and Sean Byron saying happy Thanksgiving, everybody. We will see you next time. Perfect. You did it.